This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. My name is Diane Frank, and I'm here in the dance division at Stanford, and I'm glad to welcome you to this uh, post-performance talk. Tonight we're joined by uh, David Vaughn, the archivist for the Merce Cunningham Dance Company, and by Robert Swinston, the assistant to the choreographer, and by musician John King. So to begin our questions, first I'd like to ask, it's, it's, uh, and this is to David Vaughn and others can chime in as well, but uh, it's hard to think of the work of Merce Cunningham without referring to John Cage. And so I'm wondering if you can tell us something of the foundational ideas that people find alternately so uh, refreshing and infuriating <laughs> about his work. Well, um... Merce wrote a statement uh, which he called four events that led to large discoveries in his work. And the first of those was when he started working with John Cage um, and they began to introduce this principle uh, of the independence of dance and music. If you've never seen the, the Merce Cunningham Dance Company before, that may be something you may have noticed, that the dancers don't seem to be dancing to the music the way you normally see in a dance company. And that's true because John and Merce had this idea that the dance and music shouldn't be dependent on one another. And the second of those events was when both of the, both John and Merce began to work on chance processes in their choreography. In other words, not following their habit or intuition, but, but letting um, the, um, the, the uh, principle of chance determine what the um, sequence of movements and phrases should be in the in in the choreography um, those are the two that are perhaps most relevant to what we you've seen this evening the third was when Merce began to work with the camera and the fourth actually is important because when he began to work with um, a computer software called dance forms uh, which enabled him to uh, to um, construct a dance phrase using the um, the figure on the monitor uh, which he manipulated with the mouse and um, all the works he's done since 1991 or 1990 um, were made with that computer software so this evening what you saw both Crowdspacer and iSpace were made using that um, computer software. Is that yeah. something? It's great, great. I'd like to say that we've been joined by dancers Julie Cunningham and David Madoff. Thank you. Daniel Madoff, sorry. Thank you. The, the, the collaborative process uh, is also unique in the way that Merckx has worked with uh, designers, uh, artists, uh, and musicians, composers. 
And I'm wondering if John King can tell us something of uh, his work uh, in composing the score for Crowdspacer. Well, Mersum gives you, or gave me the title, Crowdspacer, when he, uh, it was actually David Tudor who asked me to do the, the music director at the time, David Tudor asked me to do the music for Crowdspacer, and Merce gave the title of the piece and the length of the piece, and that's all he gives to the uh, composers. Um, and then you go off and do your own work that fills that particular space of time, and he does the choreography in that particular space of time, and the only, the, the first time that the dance and music come together are at the premiere. So um, no one's dancing to the music or no one's listening or has heard the music or I haven't, I have yet to see the dance crowd spacer because I'm always in the pit uh, performing. I catch little bits of leg and head moving here and there, but I haven't seen the dance yet. It hasn't been videotaped, I don't think. So, um, uh, so that, that's how it works is that just the, the title uh, and the length of the piece and then you go off and do your work. It seems to me that in, in watching over the years, the, the, the nature of the work has, at least to my eye, become more faceted, uh, more complex. There's a greater density of steps, a kind of um, uh, density of articulation that has happened, since, particularly since the use of the computer. And I'm wondering if, um, does anyone else find that to be true, or uh, is it just my eye? Uh, and if so, um, how are the how do the dancers handle that? Uh, what's the process for learning it? I pass that mic on to Robert or Julie or. Julie. Uh, well, I'll just say a little bit. Merce <coughs> makes movements, and the movements add into become phrases, and he teaches. He makes many of them, and then he teaches the company the phrases. Um, this process takes quite a while because of the complexity. So he has to go one step at a time, starts teaching you the leg movements, and then he adds the torso, and then he adds the arm movements. And this takes a little bit of time for the dancers to be able to actually iron these things out um, because they are complex and they are not natural coordinations. So all the coordinations have to be practiced, and through that practice, uh, the dancers do very well to accomplish these things. Do you want to add anything to that? Well, I, I just know that personally, um, generally what I have to do is, you, um, it seems, I think he since he separates the legs and the arms and the torso and the head a lot, which when he separates the head, it really, it's very difficult to, to incorporate that in your movement because it changes your perception of where you are in, really in space uh, vertically. But um, for, for me personally, what I have to do is turn it instead of into what four pieces of information or five pieces of information, including direction, I have to turn it into one piece of information that I can, that my body will process at one time as opposed to in, in pieces. So it, for me, it takes a very long time to get to the point where I can just, you know, I can very quickly go through different positions in the body and make sure I'm where I need to be facing and 
but I don't think of it in, in terms of my legs are doing this and my arms are doing this anymore by the time I'm on stage. So it helps, I think. Um, yeah, I, I think the same as Daniel. When you, when you first start to learn the movement, you have to like, think of every body part and try and put them together. But we do a lot of repetition. And um, so in the end, I mean, now I don't think about what I'm doing. My body just knows what to do. So, but it takes a lot of time. Right. There's a tremendous amount of ensemble dancing, I mean, uh, of phrases that are done and uses. The timing is clearly, uh, you know, extremely tight within the group, and I'm wondering how that is arrived at in rehearsal. Uh, well, I think Robert might be able to. Robert, it's all a process. The all the work takes time. The dancers had their individual parts to learn, and then upon doing it and, and measuring the time together, eventually it, it works out. Uh, Merce, when he creates a dance like this, he doesn't fix it immediately. He, he, he sets it in motion, and then he guides it to these places where we were starting together and finishing together. But in between, we were all different. So through that, the process again is it, it's a it's a matter of of doing, as he would say. I guess I, I, my observation is that we we were able to watch an open rehearsal this afternoon, and the the rehearsal was in silence, and so um, a lot of the information that's communicated among the dancers has to do with an agreed upon footfall. Um, a, a phrasing um, that's a good kinetic agreement uh, that's not superimposed by the uh, one that's imposed by a musical score with uh, measures and beats and such. And so there's, there is a, a way of um, communicating that information, resolving the length of time that it takes to do a phrase, and then once it's understood to take so long, then it's incrementally measured it's for its duration and its accuracy. And I suppose if things are off, so to speak, you could go back and subdivide and say, ah, here's where we lost three seconds. Here's where we lost or lengthened or shortened a, a period of time. Uh, and then sort of pulled it back into its appropriate tension. Um, well, that everything, we, we, we time everything with a stopwatch. All the sections are timed. And so if, if, it, uh, if the piece was 27.30 and all of a sudden it's 28.15, you know you've got to deal with, you know you've got a problem there. And since you have the times, you can see what was slow, what was fast. Because the speed of the, uh, of the movement does a great deal to give it character and quality. I'm, I'm interested in the, um, the aspect of reconstructing crisis. Um, that's a piece from quite a while back, and I'd like to know if you can expand on what that process was. So. Julie. Okay. Um, well, I guess we went back and learned from a, this one video recording from 61. 
right, 1961, and um, it's kind of fuzzy and. But we, we also had um, Carol Teitelbaum, who used to be in the company. She came and helped us reconstruct the piece, and she had really detailed notes. Um, so we kind of learned it from her notes and from the video. And then um, later, Carolyn Brown came and helped us work on it, and, and Merce also. And, and one of the principal, or one of the roles in that was created on Carolyn Brown. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, David, any more to say? Well, um, one of the most important uh, projects of the archives is that we have been able to copy and scan Merce's own choreographic notes, which are voluminous whenever he's going through the process of the chance process or whatever. He makes endless notes um, that may be um, stick figures showing the, the positions or diagrams of the movement in space. And um, these are indecipherable to the average person. But I know that Robert has begun, begun to be able to read these notes. And that's one of the elements that goes into the reconstruction of a work because there are all these notes um, that Merce has made when he's he's making a piece. So um, uh, there's that, and the as Julie says, the video and the memory of somebody uh, who danced it originally. It's a, which is a, of course a time-honored way of um, of reconstructing a dance. There's also uh, pictures, and I wasn't part of Crises, but um, I was lucky enough to be able to do one of Merce's earliest solos, and I had nothing to do with the reconstruction. Um, uh, Daniel Roberts, a, a former dancer of the company, um, read the notes which were in... Laba notation. Well, that, but that's one of the only dances of Merce's that's actually but in Laba notation. Another source that we have is uh, pictures. And um, so Daniel reconstructed it from Laba notation, which uh, is limited. Um, it's very detailed, but it's actually it's very limited. There's a lot of parts of your body, and there's a few ways to interpret, you know, uh, different movements. And I took, I was looking at the pictures. Daniel taught it to me, and I was looking at the pictures, and I saw something. A picture of Merce was very clearly sitting with his legs crossed and his arm in position. And I don't. I said, Daniel, we don't do that in the solo. Why don't we do that? And I thought about it, and we figured out, going back to like <laughs> thinking about Merce's where he was right before that, which was, he, he was at Martha Graham, and we thought about it and we realized that maybe he was doing this thing that was kind of similar to something that we'd seen before and we figured out that we, we'd been doing it wrong. So pictures are very uh, telling for that reason. I think I'd like to open it up to some questions from the audience. I'm sure they're a good number. In front. Okay. 
there's a the, the question is in three parts. One is about is a question about facial expression. Uh, is that? No, Miss never tells us to look a certain way. So the, the, there, there is no instruction for that. And second part of your question is about. She, she, to elaborate upon the use of the head um, within the choreography. I guess it's very specific and tied into the, the use of the, the spine. So if we're tilting, we're like the, you know. So the head moves with the spine and it's very specific. And third, um, a, a reference to the drawings. Are they available to see in any way uh, archivally or? Excuse me. Are the, the drawings that oh. were referred to, are, are there ways to see those drawings? Or? Yeah, yes, I mean, we do allow people to see them. Um, they're not, uh, um, students can see them. Um, I, I, there is a sort of a restriction, in fact, on how, how, how open those uh, notes are to any, uh, like the general public, for example, I mean, they, uh, the copies of them are going to the New York State, New York Public Library for the Performing Arts, but I don't think they're generally available to, to people who can come in to the library. Another question. I'm wondering what Merce is thinking about in terms of technology today. I've just been reading about things being uh, Mondays with Merce on television, video, which I think is really interesting. And then I read an article about the use of the space in a gallery that was part of the dance was visual through the door, through a doorway. The question is about technology. I'm wondering where the thoughts are now about technology. Right. Um, where, what are Merce's thoughts now? Uh, moving forward to the use of technology. She was referring to the Mondays with Merce project, the new project that's coming up, and also to um, the performances in the DIA Foundation uh, recently um, with the use of multiple spaces uh, being seen through a doorway and... and well, uh, the uh, Mondays with Merce uh, project is still to be completely worked out, but it will involve certainly um, uh, various uh, technological elements, no doubt. Um, the um, I don't know quite what else to say about that. Right. Uh, well, I know that um, something I've gleaned from what Merce has said, I, I have no f finite way of knowing that this is true, but I, I feel like he he knows that technology is becoming more and more important and more prominent in our lives. And for instance, iSpace, I've heard him talk about, um, you know, I've thought about, you know, you, uh, when I'm going to work, I have my, my iPod in, things are flashing in front of my eyes, there's uh, advertisements everywhere. And I feel like he kind of, he's aware of all of this amazingly, and he, he goes with it. And I also, I read the article about Mondays with Merce, and something he said was, well, this is going to happen anyway, so I'm going to go for it. So it seems like he's, he's just he's staying with the times and he's always challenging himself with, with what's going on in the world. Yes, another question. Uh, I have two questions. The first is for the dancers. What is it like for you 
So I'll repeat the question. The question is uh, for the dancers, and that is, uh, what is it like to work without music and then suddenly have at performance time this um, soundscape environment in which you dance? Um, I would say that often I don't hear the music when I'm performing because I'm thinking about what I'm doing up here. Um, that's especially true when, when we have a newer piece and I have to focus a lot more on what I'm doing. Um, but sometimes, I mean, I hear the music or the sound that's happening, but I, it doesn't really affect me. Sometimes it gives me a, a feeling. Um, I get different feelings from the music, but it's not, it doesn't directly affect my dancing. No, I actually, I am actually very affected by the music. Um, a lot of times, or lack thereof. So, uh, I mean, there's some pieces where the music is very sparse, some of the John Cage pieces, and it's, it, it doesn't necessarily make things more difficult because we are used to, to dancing in silence, but it doesn't make it any easier to, to, have, to feel the gravity of the space around you. I mean, it really, the music really does affect what's going on in the empty spaces, I feel. So I've found that I've had to, I have to calm down sometimes if the music is really exciting. I have to make sure that I that I don't speed up or or really let it affect what I'm doing too much. But I do let it in personally. Mm -hmm. Other question? Sure. The question is, why dance? <laughs> the question is, why dance? Why? Not disrespectfully, but insightfully. Uh, why do we engage in doing and, and witnessing dance? Is there any insight you have or opinion you have about that? This is, this is for everyone. <laughs> Why, why do we do it? Because we love it. I mean, well, well when I was, um, see, before I was in this company, I was in the Jose Limon company. And in that company, there was a very strong relation with music and dance. And when we used to do our lecture demonstrations, what we used to say to the people was that dance came before music because the primitive. Uh, man made the, made the movements and made the rhythms with his own body. And the percussion came from that, but it was actually a dance. So that's what we know. It's somehow in our bones. I know that Mercy said, I actually I asked him once <laughs> a similar question because um, I, I, I thought about the way music affects you and it really gets in your head and it's kind of a personal, it, it moves you pretty immediately when you hear it. And dance, you, you're watching it. And the thing that 
the thing that really will move you about dancing is actually doing it. Um, that's, that's when it's going to immediately get in your body. So why watching? Why would you watch dance? And he said, he said to me, he, says, he said, uh, dance is a visual art. So you're looking at something, um, which to me means, in, in a way, it would be akin to going to see installations uh, in a museum because while you're, you're, not, not, you're not participating, so we're, we're doing the dancing and you're looking at us doing the dancing and we're moving sculptures, if you will, or, I mean, this doesn't have to be the only way you experience it, but it's, I think it's one way to think about it. Uh, maybe we'll take a last question here from anyone. Here. The question is, or the request is, is uh, would you relate this work to the question of expression? Is there a relationship between expressing and what this dance phenomenon is? Well, Mercer's always said that his work is not about expressing something, it's about doing something. Um, they're not, the dancers aren't pretending to be something other than themselves dancing. They're not playing a part, they're not, um, uh, so it's, it's not a question of, of an outside expression that you're put, putting onto the dance, it's the, the expression comes out of the movement itself. Yeah. Which, which may in fact address someone else's question about the face and which is to say that that's part of the whole and the face is not, does not dominate in what the whole is is, um, is doing. Uh, does that is that helpful? Okay. It's in your mind. I mean, if what you see, how you perceive it, in the audience, you finish the uh, the dance. All right, but your perception is slightly different from the person next to you. So everyone has a different background in order to relate to what they're seeing. So the images that come through your head are basically your images. They, and so that's why we Mercer wants it to be so each individual has a different idea, so to speak, not just one idea. So there can be a multiplicity of, of ways of perceiving or, or resonating uh, according to your, the experience that you bring and your degree of alertness and attentiveness to the dancing. Um, all right, well, thank you very much for staying, and I want to thank these kind people for their insights. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.